Thank you, guys. Good morning. How are we? Good. Uh, hey, I just wanted to, uh, not to start the, the message with just heaviness, but um, some of you know, some of you don't know, um, is uh, Matt Badgett, uh, Claire Badgett. Uh, Matt's mother has been, uh, has had a brain tumor, um, and she is, uh, she might not make it through the service. Um, and so she's, she's been struggling for quite a few weeks going downhill and uh, just got word of that. And so I just want to just pray for, for Matt, for Claire, um, uh, ladies that uh, went to the women's retreat last year, uh, Claire was actually, or um, Sandy, her name is Sandy, was actually the speaker at the retreat. So it's just, it, it kind of, it's amazing how life can change in a blink <clears throat> and totally healthy, totally fine, gets diagnosed with a brain tumor and just goes downhill. So um, I, find, I find great comfort in First Thessalonians. <clears throat> she is a believer in Christ. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others uh, do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And, and so we, we grieve differently. Um, it's still painful. It's painful for Matt. It's painful for Claire and their family and her, her husband, obviously, uh, the ones we love. But we, we thank you. We, we're thankful for Jesus who has come to reverse the curse, if you will, and, 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 and give her hope and give us hope. So why don't we just offer them before the Lord and, and then we'll, we'll dig into the sermon this morning. God, we do come... Uh, and pray for Sandy now. Uh, we pray for Matt. We pray for Claire. We pray for uh, the Badgett family, uh, that you would comfort them in this time of, of loss and, and grieving. Um, and such is life. We sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as Paul says, that we, we live in these tensions, God. Um, but we know that Sandy belongs to you. We know that she loves you. Uh, we know that she has not trusted in her own, her own morality or goodness, but she's trusted in the Savior and that the promise of resurrection is coming. And so even as she goes on from this life, God, she's in but a blink is going to see her Savior. And she's going to be healed from every sickness. That cancer will be no more. Death will be no more. Sin will be no more. So God, even as they walk through this, may they find hope in you. May they find hope not just because of positive thinking, but because of the resurrection of Christ that says, I've overcome. I've overcome. So God, be with them, bring your grace, bring your healing, bring your peace. Uh, do what only you can do, God. So help us now, even as we open your, your word, that we could hear from you, not just be hearers of your word, but also doers as well. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, praying with me. Um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Malachi uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 3. We're finishing up our series in the Old Testament, Minor Prophets. And uh, we have one more week in, in Malachi, and I'm really excited. Um, I, I mean, I love, I love the Old Testament prophets. Hopefully you've been uh, enjoying them as well. I mean, probably majority of us have never walked through Zephaniah and Malachi and Haggai together. And so hopefully it's been, uh, not only do we see the, 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 the warning, the judgment, but also the, the hope, that, hope in the ruins. I mean, that's why we called it that, is that God is faithful even when we are not. And even though Israel was unfaithful, God still fulfilled his promises uh, through them. And, and I've just been, been kind of laughing because a last like few weeks I've had to talk about divorce and then now I get to talk about giving. Um, so the things you're not supposed to talk about in church, I've been tasked with that. Somehow it seems to be landing on me and, and why I'm the one that always has to talk about these things. It's probably Andy's cowardness and our other elders, but, um, 
but that's fine. Uh, I'm secure in Christ, and uh, you know we're just going to shrink our church this morning. So, um, so you had one offering. We're going to do one right now, and then uh, I'm going to preach, and then we'll have another offering. So just get your wallet. Just hold up your wallet. No, we won't do that. Uh, that wouldn't be kind to you. But, um, but we're going to look at, at generosity this morning from how God sees it. Um, and one of the things that I think was one of the best decisions we made, and, and I had some coaches and some friends, and as we're starting New, New City Church about eight years ago, and they kept saying, you know, you just you can't, don't, just don't talk about money because you, you don't want to talk about giving. You don't want to, you know, scare people away. That's just the one subject that, that people get weirded out about. So don't, so don't bring it up. Uh, but we decided early on, we just said, you know, to be a follower of Christ is really to be a generous person and, and to give and, and not to be ashamed of that. And, and so from day one, we just said, we're just going to give and, and we're going to talk about giving, not in a weird way, but just really believing that as the spirit of God works in the hearts and lives of people, that we just become generous people because that's who God is and that's what we want to be like. Uh, um, and so, so we've tried to talk about it in just natural ways. Like this is just part of following Christ. This isn't anything weird. You know, this isn't some prosperity message that if you give, you know, you're going to get a Ferrari on Monday, you know, or whatever it is, you know, we don't have any weird thermometers up here with just, you know, Old Testament verses out of context saying, hey, we're going to build it and, you know, Jesus is going to come and we're not doing anything weird, right? But being generous because God has, has been generous uh, to us. And so, um, so this morning I want, I want you to open to Malachi chapter three, if you haven't already, um, page 802, if you have a, a, a chair Bible. If you don't have a chair Bible, I don't know the number of your Bible. Um, We're just going to look at six verses. Malachi 3, verses 6 to 12. Here's what it says. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine as the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God for us. Uh, this morning. And so as we've kind of looked at uh, the minor prophets is one of the themes that, that comes out often is this, this, this future reality that God is going to restore uh, Israel, that God is going to restore his, his people. We remember last week we looked at that, even though God's people were, were forsaking the promises, forsaking the covenants, worshiping false gods, divorcing their, their wives, and, and, and priests were doing shady things and not teaching them the word of God. God says, I'm going to come like a refining fire. I'm going to refine you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to cleanse you. And, and all of that pointing to the ultimate refiner fire, Jesus Christ, who would not come to, to just baptize with, with water, but also to baptize with fire, this refining fire, this God who is going to transform us from the inside out, who is going to redeem us and save us from, from our sins. That even though God's people were unfaithful, God had a plan, and it's always pointing to the future that there's going to be a day where I'm going to renew and restore all things. But what seems strange this morning is that now the theme shifts to not this future reality that God is faithful, but now talking about tithing, giving, generosity. How does that fit into God's redemptive plans? How does that, that fit into to us as God's people and the future reality that God is restoring all things? And I think it's actually pretty clear is that God has come to redeem us because our hearts 
are not wired to be generous. That, that our hearts are wired to be selfish. Our hearts are wired to only think about the holy trinity of me, myself, and I, right? And, and so in God's redemption and God's salvation, he, he's also transforming us from the inside out that we would become a generous people. It's all tied together. It's not that God needs money. It's not like God is lacking anything. He owns every cattle on every hill. He, he, he owns everything. There's, there's nothing that God is, is needy. He's not greedy in any way saying, just give me any more money so I can live and I can survive. But in God's redemptive plan, he always leads us to generosity. Now, what's so astounding, I think, in our text this morning is, is first how God looks at the contrast between his own character and ours. He, he kind of sets us next to him and says, oh, you think you're generous? You, you think you're doing okay? Well, look at, look at my character. So notice with me the first couple of verses in verse 6 and 7. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you, you say, how shall we return? And we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. So, so right away, God is, through Malachi, is saying, hey, let's, con- let's contrast God's character with your character. Well, here's this God who never changes. Here's this God who's always faithful, always and all the time, who doesn't consume you. I could consume you and you right now. You deserve it in every way. That's what he was saying to Israel. But I don't because I'm faithful to my promises. That who could stand before me on judgment day? The answer is always no one unless I come and redeem you. Unless my son comes and redeems you. Unless he gives you his righteousness. There's, there's no one who can stand. So he does this, this character study and says, once you stand next to me and see who I am, I don't change. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a consuming fire. I'm faithful in every way. But then notice also he says, O children of Jacob are not consumed. Now, we could read that and, and say in a general way, well, does that just mean a word for Israel? This is just God's people, Israel? But who was Jacob? Jacob wasn't the most noble, moral, good cat in the world, was he? Actually, his name means grasper or supplanter. He's known for stealing his brother's birthright. So a lot of commentators say that that when God says, oh, Jacob, oh, children of Jacob, it's not a a nice term. He's comparing his character to their character. He's saying, you guys are graspers, you're supplanters, you're takers, you're stealing your own birthright, but I don't consume you. I still love you despite even though who you are, even though, as we'll see in our text, even though you're robbing me of the gifts and tithes and contributions that are are owed to me, that's who I, I am. He, said, he says, you, you're the ones who change. You're the ones who don't listen to my commands. You're, you're cheating me out of what belongs to me. Did you, did you catch it? From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. These commands, these promises, you haven't kept any of them. Yet here I am, still being faithful, still pursuing a people for my name, still showering with grace. Even though the temple's been, been rebuilt, and even though things aren't going the way you'd want them to, and, and, and spiritually and economically, it's not going well in Jerusalem, but I'm faithful to, to the end. And we see God's goodness revealed to us and how really selfish we are, that even though God continues to pour himself out, continues to give and give and give, we say, thank you, I'm good without you. And that's the human predicament, isn't it? It's all the way back to, the, to Eden. 
God, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for creating this world. Thank you for creating, you know, wives and husbands and kids and, and these great, beautiful things, this beautiful sun that we get to enjoy this morning, the cool weather and, and, and you know, fajitas and guacamole and, and all the good gifts and barbecue and, 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 you know, hopefully the Chiefs winning today, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, we say, no, thank you. I, I don't need you. I'm going to live life on my own terms. I'm going to do it on my own. And as this kind of ramps up and as we see kind of God's character and ours, notice the invitation that even God gives an invitation of repentance right at the beginning, right? From verse 7, he says, from the days you, you haven't kept my commands, he says, return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now here's where we really see Israel's heart and here's where we see our own heart. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? Isn't that you and me, right? God, I know you're faithful. I know you're good. I know you're generous. But can you, can you explain, like, how have we robbed you? I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to get out of this and not be, obe- be obedient to what I know is true and right and good. But is there, is there an out clause here, right? That, that, that there's this delay in obedience rather than, than them saying, here we are, God, you've given us everything. Here's, here's my tithes, here's my offerings, here's my, my life. We say, but, but can you explain in, in detail how we've robbed you? Because I don't, I don't think you know who I am. Like, I'm a very good person, <laughs> right? I, 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 I mean, I, I give and, uh, you know, I, I go to church and, and I try to, you know, raise my kids a certain way and I try to do all these things. And yet you see this delayed reaction from Israel. Again, we saw this last week. We saw it the week before. These questions they keep asking. Uh, God, can you be specific in how we've, we've robbed you? How we haven't been faithful to you? It's, it's what the human heart does, right? We don't want to actually look in the mirror and, and, and really believe that maybe we aren't as generous as we thought we were. Maybe we aren't as faithful as we want to give ourselves credit. And so... The contrast between God's character and our character is, is, is astounding and staggering and very obvious. And, and as we stand up next to a holy God, a good God, a generous God, we realize how woefully uh, far we, we, we've fallen. And, and, and so Malachi, what he's going to do is actually get at the root cause here. And, and the root cause in this situation is the problem is really just a lack of a generous heart. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from me, return to me, I'll return to you. And then verse 8, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And so as much as you think you're generous, as much as you think you're giving your all, you're robbing me, you're holding back your tithe. You're holding back what I've commanded you in my law. Now, if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 14, you'll see how God instituted the tithe. So in Deuteronomy 14, God's people, verse 22, the tithes, he says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Tithe just means 10, a tenth of what, you, what comes in. And 23, and before the Lord your God in that place that they will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there. 
Then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand. Go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetites craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. And then in 29, we see that the the tithe is also to go to the sojourner, to the poor, to the fatherless, to the widow that are within your town shall come and eat and be filled that your Lord your God may bless you and all the work of the hands that you do. So, so there's this, this Old Testament law about tithing, giving to, to God what it is. So when the, the crop comes in, when the livestock come in, we give a tenth of that to the Lord. That's kind of the first fruits. It's a very uh, biblical, biblical idea. And, and we can even say in Scripture, it's not even tenth. Sometimes it's 25%. Sometimes it's 50%. It depends on how you break it down. It's hard to, it's hard to d- decipher that in Old Testament ancient cultures. But they were giving to all kinds of things, giving to the Levites, giving to the poor, right? They, they, every seven years, they, the land would get a break, and they'd tithe and have a, a great celebration. All their debts would be, be cleared. But here's the thing about tithing. It's never about the tithe. Did you catch it? Tithing's never about the amount and the dollars and cents. What does God say in verse 23 in Deuteronomy 14? And before the Lord your God in the place that you will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock. Why? That you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Tithing's never about money. It's about the heart. Do you trust me? That's what's going on, on with Israel. Do you trust me? I know things are broken down. I know money's not coming down. We're not economically uh, uh, doing very well right now in Jerusalem. It'd be easy to hold that back. It'd be easy to say, God, I just, I, I, we can't provide for our family. If things are really, really, really tight, tight now. I can't give a tithe. I can't give to the poor. I can't give to the priests. It's just a little bit tight right now. But do you trust me? That giving is part of our discipleship because it's teaching us how to trust him with everything. Isn't it? That when you have income and you take, whether it's 10%, 3%, 50%, whatever it is, and you say, God, here it is, you have to make up the lack now because it's yours. Now I have to really walk in faith, right? Do you trust me? And Jesus talks that way too, right? It's never been about money and cents. It's never been about dollar amounts. It's always been about the heart. Remember in, in Jesus, when he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, we went through this you know, quite a few months ago. When we went in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, laying up your treasures in heaven. In Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your Heart will be also, it's a participatory Sunday. I'm not hearing much participation. <laughs> Heart, right? Well, what's Jesus saying there? Hey, Ryan, let's sit down with your budget and let's figure that out. It needs to be an exact amount. He, he, no, no, no. This is about who's your master, who's your Lord. Don't store up things that are going to rust and don't store up things that, that people can break in and steal. That's a, that's a terrible way to live your life. Right? Because we know those things go away, right? You can't guarantee that your house isn't going to burn down. You can't guarantee that the stock market's not going to crash. So, so Jesus is saying, what I care most about is your heart. What I care most about is do you trust me? Seeking things that last, seeking things that are, are eternal. And by the way, money's not bad. It's not evil. 
It's not. It could be the root of all evil, but it's not evil. It's a tool in hands God to say, do you love me? Do you trust me? Because where our money goes, it shows where our hearts go, right? I hate math. I just, I've always hated it on so many levels. Not a math guy. Any amens to that? Just, I mean, and I'm seeing it in my kids, just not math. You know, they're going to be artists and, and communicators and English people and creatives, and they're going to be broke. But, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's fine. My wife and I just laugh. We're just like, we're at fifth grade math, and we're just like, we're done. We're tapped out. <laughs> Calling tutors. I mean, just, I don't know what a decimal, where you put the decimal. I don't, I don't know. But, but here's also why I hate math. Because math doesn't lie. It just is, right? Like two plus two is, you know, always four. I mean, I know we live in a postmodern world. Well, it could be five. It could be seven. Whatever. It's always four. But it reveals what I really think about God when I follow the trail, right? Where my money goes, right? Where, where am I generous or not? Like, I just hate you, math, because it doesn't lie. I can look at my commerce bank. I can look at my, my accounts, and I can go, well, just it's telling me what I believe. It tells me what I think about God, and I don't always enjoy looking at it. Amen? Because it just speaks right back to me. God, God just saying, Ryan, do you, do you trust me? Do you trust me with every detail of your life, including your finances? So, so giving and, and tithing in the Old Testament was never ultimately about the dollars and cents, but it was about heart, the heart and learning to fear and trust and honor God. Now, what's also, I think, interesting, and I think it feeds well into Mal- our Malachi text, is that the tithe also provided a couple other things uh, to Israel and why it was such an indictment on them. So, so one of those things is that it supported full-time ministry for the Levitical priests. So in Numbers, um, God talks about uh, the tithe as well. And uh, I can find it. Numbers 18 and 21. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do their service in the tent of meeting. So a Levitical priest uh, in, the, in the Old Testament didn't have a farm, didn't have crops, didn't have any way of actually tithing back to the Lord. And so the, the, the tithes that came in were to actually give to the priest so that they could have something to give in their own offerings. It was to, to, to support full-time ministry, if you want to say it that way, so, so that they could, could preach and teach the word of God. Now, what's so interesting about that is that as the people are holding back, what's happening? They're getting robbed of the word of God. And we know that in Israel, that's, that's what's, what's going on, is that the, the priests aren't getting, they're not giving, they're not tithing. So guess what? The priests are getting short, shortchanged. And so the word of God, we've already seen that many times over in, in Malachi, that they're not being taught, they're not being nourished in God and in the word. It also, the tithe also provided relief for the poor. If you go back to the Deuteronomy text, sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit here. Deuteronomy 14, you probably caught that, verse 28 and 29. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance, the priest there with you and the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled. So giving was always about the poor, the under-resourced, the fatherless, the widow. In the ancient culture, they were the most vulnerable people. 
Jesus talks about that when we're to give, right? Don't, don't, don't make this big hoopla about your giving, but you know, give your offering, give to the poor, give to the, the least of these. Very, very Old Testament, very New Testament idea. So that, that's where the tithe goes as well. Provided relief for the poor, for the most vulnerable in their communities. And it's actually why we, as a church, if you didn't know this, we have a benevolence fund, which is we're growing, so we give 10%, hopefully, to we're growing in that to church planning and 10% to benevolence. And the benevolence is really based on texts like this. To those that are poor, to those who are under-resourced, inside our community, outside our, our community. How, do, how can we give to those that are struggling? That's where part of our tithe goes. And then what I love about this, the tithe also is for celebrating. Don't, don't forget this, people. It's why we love to eat around here. It's like why we love to, to feast um, in Deuteronomy uh, 14, did you, did you catch it? This is such a great text. 1426, and spend the money for whatever you desire. That'll preach. <laughs> Just keep reading. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetites craves. Come on now. It's in the Bible. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance for you. So, so even in God's generosity, saying, put aside some of this tithe. Why? So you can celebrate my goodness together. So, so that you can celebrate and see my provision. Like, go and, and get what your appetites uh, want. I don't think this is sinful appetites, but, but, but go and, and get the fatted calf. I, I, I know we don't do that, but you know, go and get some pulled pork. Go and, and get some good drinks and, and, and enjoy all that God has given you, that he is with you, that he loves you, that he's poured out his life for you, right? In some ways, that's what we do when we take communion every Sunday. It's this feast to be reminded of God's goodness and God's grace and God's provision. He says, set that aside. Make sure you feast well. All the, all the New Testament kingdom parables are all about feasting and drinking in heaven with God and with his people. How, how often is our presentation of the gospel so dour? Right? Yeah, you better, better believe in Jesus. You're going to go to hell. Because that just excites me like no other. Yeah, I don't want to go to hell. But what about the feasting part? What about there's a, there's a feast, there's a wedding feast coming and, and sinners and broken people like you and me are invited to sit with the king and enjoy him forever with his people. We're going to have the best food and we're going to have the best drink for all of eternity. And, and right, now in our, right now in our lives, we're going to even be little pointers of that. So when we sit and we feast, we're pointing to this coming kingdom and this coming feast that all is going to be made new and all is going to be made right. Come to the table. All you who are weak, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, come and drink with us. Come and eat with us. That's a gospel that I'll preach. Come with your strong drink. I don't even know what that means, but it's in the Bible. So let us celebrate. And so what's being revealed uh, through Israel, what's being revealed to us is that they're robbing God because they haven't seen the generosity of God. They're not fearing him. They're not trusting him. We saw earlier weeks they're giving little half sacrifices, half baked worship to God. They're not keeping the promises. They're divorcing their wives. They're, they're worshiping false gods. And, and here's what's so interesting about this, and I've hinted at it already, but it's kind of the spiritual death spiral that happens when we don't give. And this is happening with Israel because, as I mentioned, if they're not giving their tithe, guess what? The, the, the priests aren't supported. So if the priests aren't supported, guess what? The word of God is being neglected. 
And so the people aren't being fed and nourished spiritually, right? And then, and then the safety net, here's, here's where it gets really crazy, is that the tithe and offering is supposed to go to the poor and the under-resourced, right? So if they're not giving, guess what? The people are going, how are we going to make it another day? Well, it's because you haven't been giving. There's nothing there, right? So, so the neglected in the community, the, the poor in the community aren't being helped, right? Because they go, well, God, it's just really tight right now. And so it becomes this, this kind of spiritual death spiral, and everybody is affected by our stinginess. And stinginess is not a fruit of the Spirit, church. But here's, <laughs> and I have to be, I've been waiting for this verse all, all week, and, and I laugh because I've seen this butchered so, so badly and um, used in such poor ways. But, but what God does is he reveals their, the problem, and that's a lack of their generous hearts and trusting God and fearing God. But then he does something so fascinating. He says, I'm going to give you a generosity challenge. Test me. You don't think I'm faithful? Test me. It's in the scriptures. You see it? Verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer, that's such an interesting Hebrew word. It's actually, there was probably some bugs or some kind of disease that were attacking the crops. He's all, I'm actually going to end that too, so your crops will flourish for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours be the land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God rarely says, test me, but when it comes to giving, he says, test me all day long. Watch me pour out blessing on you. Can anyone attest to that? All right, have you been there? Young, married, broke, can't give. I, I barely pay our bills. Well, when I was first married, uh, I, I was a youth pastor, which pays tons of money, and uh, just riding around in my Cadillac, just living, living the dream. No, um, making very little money. Uh, my, my wife was still in school, finishing up school. And I just remember these, these daily conversations about, about honey, like, like, would it be all right if we just like, took a year off of giving? <laughs> like, it's really, really tight right now. We had, we had medical bills, remember right at the beginning, honey, when, um, you know, already had credit card debt, like, week one of our, our marriage because we didn't have any money and, and had to take Chrissy, the, the doctor, and, and we're just going, like, don't have medical insurance, going, okay, Lord, how do we do this? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're still there. I'm, we're still there. But, but it's those moments where I say, do I trust you, God? Do I fear you? Do I believe that you're going to provide all that I need? That if I have everything in you already, then, then, then what is uh, a few bucks here and there? That it's, that it's all yours, God. That, that I don't know how you're going to, to provide. I, I don't know what that's going to look like. But, but here I am. I, I, I trust you, Lord. And, and, and God says, test me. I want to bless you. I want to provide for you. Don't, don't hold back. Now, I, I do get nervous because I know we do think, you know, this is prosperity, right? If I, if I give, then we get, and I give. But, but let's, can we, okay, I don't, I don't even know how to say this. Let's stop being scared of the prosperity gospel on, on one level. Is that God does bless us, and he wants to bless us. Prosperity is, I only do these things. I'm using God to get these things, and that's what it's all about. And, and financial security is an, an obvious blessing of God. But God does bless us, and he wants to bless us. 
And sometimes it is through physical things, right? I mean, we, we planted this church, we had no money. And God said, hey, I'm going to take John Helcrow, who you used to party with and who was a pagan just like you. I'm going to redeem him. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to move him to South, South Dakota. And then I'm going to put him on this, this ranch. And there's going to be oil on the ranch. And he's going to call you on the phone and say, Ryan, hey, I heard you became a believer. I became a believer shortly uh, prior around the same time. And I have oil on my ranch. Can I send you a check? And that's a true story. Well, yes, make it out to Ryan Pelton Ministries. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't say that. Money was running out. And John Helcrow saved the day. Because he hit oil. All in God's timing, all in God's provision, right? It doesn't have to happen that way. It could just be getting a new job. It could be, you know, you, you, know, you get a refund from something. It's, just, it's amazing how God wants to do that. And it's not, we don't give because we, we just want, but he's saying, test me. I'm a good father. I have everything. I'm not lacking anything. Put me to the test. And watch me open the gates of heaven and pour out blessing on you. And Israel struggled with that just like, like we do. And so I guess the question becomes, well, what do we do? I mean, this is, this is Old Testament, right? We're talking about tithing. Like, is tithe, tithing still a thing? I mean, Christ has fulfilled all the Old Testament laws. What does giving look like today? And so I just want to close this last little, little part. I just call it gospel giving. It, it's just a simple little idea. Um, and so what I think the Old Testament law does, as we've said, is it really just re- reveals what we love and, and, and how we're to live our lives. It, it reveals, do, do we trust God, right? These laws were not meant to just be about dollars and cents, but do you fear me? Do you, do you trust me? Will you live according to my promises? And so I think when we look at the New Testament, when we, even though Christ has fulfilled all the Old Testament laws, it's, it's not, why would we be less generous? <laughs> why, why would we say, no, I mean, there's a tithe, yeah, 10%, but, you know, I'm going to give less. Well, why, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> We should be more generous. Like Christ has come. He's, re- he's redeemed us. He saved us, right? The, the good stuff has happened. I mean, Israel didn't even know about that. He knew he was coming, but he hadn't come yet, right? But there's no hard and fast rule that says you have to tithe. It has to be 10, 10%. But, but the way we, we talk about it is that that's a great place to start, isn't it? I think it is. I mean, if God is, is even more generous than the New Testament, why would we not at least start there, right? I think 10% actually forces you to live a little differently. Right? To adjust your lifestyle just a little bit, right? Ten percent. Right? If it's one percent, okay, yeah, we might not see this gone, but but I think ten percent's a good good place. But this is not law, this is not hard and fast. So 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 the the way we look at it, and I think there's a couple of texts that really help us kind of figure out a path for how do we live as gospel people? How do we live generous lives? Well, one, Paul says in First Corinthians sixteen, verse two. Probably know this text if you've been around the Bible at all. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as you may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So one simple thing. On Sundays, why we take an offering is is because texts like this. We just set aside something we're going to give to the, to the Lord on, on Sunday. Again, it doesn't, we're not law here. It's not, does it have to be weekly? Does it have to be every other week? I mean, I, Ryan, I don't get paid. I only get paid every other week. Okay, fine. I'm a salesman. I get paid quarterly. That, that's fine too. Again, we're not talking about law here. 
But it's you individually. It's you as a family getting coming together, saying, "Hey, we want to set something alive, uh, something alive, something aside. It's alive too, but to, to give to the Lord, proportionate to, to our income, to, to where God has us, to, to what we, we want to give. We're going to set that aside. But but there's also, I think, another level to that is also willingly and generously. Second Corinthians nine. If you go to Second Corinthians nine, go ahead a couple of chapters. Paul talks about giving here. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So proportionate. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all, good, um, all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So, so I think part of that is willingly and generously. We, we don't have to give reluctantly. God loves a cheerful giver. It's not, oh, this is going to hurt. It's, I've seen the grace of God. I've seen the mercies of God. Here it is. I've set aside this. I believe this is what God has led us to. This is how much I want to give to you. I give cheerfully. I, give, I don't give reluctantly. I lay it before you. I give willingly. I think there's also a, a, another level of giving. It's, it's, at times, it's sacrificially, and I would call it over-generous. <laughs> I don't know if you can be over-generous, but in 2 Corinthians 8, go back a couple of verses, 1 to 4. So this, this famine breaks out in the land. People have no money. But, but notice what the grace of God does in someone's life. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What? Those sound like contradicting terms. Their, their abundant poverty has led to abundant generosity? How? The grace of God that's come to them. That's how. But then he goes on, have overflowed into wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3, for they give, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So this church is under distress. They, they, they're, they're giving, they're in, they're in poverty, and yet they're giving what they can, but they're also giving over and abundantly more than they can, sacrificially. So there's going to be times in our life where, where God just leads us to just give above and beyond. Like, we really feel the pinch. <laughs> like, okay, we can't have Chick-fil-A this week, family. And by the way, when you have a lot of kids, Chick-fil-A is like $900 now. What happened to, like, cheap fast food? Anybody? What, what, what happened? Like, Taco Bell's like $18 for, like, a combo? Okay, I don't have time. But anyway. That'll be $83. What? But times God calls us to sacrificially to be over generous in what he's given us, but it's always rooted in the grace of God. Because we've seen his generosity, we've seen his mercy, that he has given us every spiritual blessing in heaven, that he has died for us, that he has redeemed us, that he's forgiven us of all of our sins. It's not, it's not I have to give so God's mad at me, I have to give so he'll get off my back, I'll ha- I have to give so he'll, he'll bless me. That's not Christianity. We give because he's already blessed us. We're a blessing because he's already blessed us with every gift there is and more. That's why Paul can say, you know, I know what it's like to have a lot and to have little, but I found to be content in the Lord. I, I, I know what it's like to, have, to, be, to be, you know, homeless. I know what it's like to have, have money. 
So wherever I am, the reality is I'm content in Jesus because of his grace and his mercy toward me. And so when I think of a tithe, I think it's a floor, not a ceiling. I think it's a floor, not a ceiling. I, I think, you know, we're trying to tithe as a church, to church planting and, and to, you know, the poorest of the poor and, and be as generous. We try to do things here simple. Why? So we can give more away. That's, that's why we do it. That's why we don't have lasers and smoke. I mean, I, I still want to come down on, on some wires, just like a harness, or maybe through the floor, some lights just right on me, some big preacher voice. But, you know, that's a lot of money. We've looked into it. Maybe come in here on a tank. No, it's, it's why we don't do ministry that way. Nothing against people that ride in on tanks or, you know, preach out on sailboats. That's, hey, God's using that, you know, glory to God. It's so that we can be more generous as God's people and, and give as much as we can away. Um, and, and that's not to brag by any means, but, but we, we really see a tithe as a, flooring, a floor, not a ceiling. I, you know, one of our goals as a family, too, is to continue to grow even way past the tithe and just say God's called us to be generous and whatever that looks like for each of you. This isn't guilt and shame and law here, folks. Now, l- let me ask a question because I think gospel giving reveals our hearts before God. Maybe I don't want to give. <laughs> um, maybe I struggle giving. Um, maybe I've had a bad experience with churches that talk about giving or, or, or what that means or why we give. Robert uh, Murray McShane has, has a great quote. He says, The more you understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you, the more generous you become. I fear there are many hearing me who, who now know they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly, grudging at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. <laughs> Love that quote. I hope you feel a little guilty. That's my, my point here. No, there's two gospel issues here. One group, including myself, I, I fall in both of these camps, and we probably all do, is here, if, if there's a heart issue, if, if you aren't generous, the solution is the gospel. You maybe haven't seen it yet. You haven't embraced it yet. If generosity is just a thing that's just very, very difficult, and again, we're not just talking about dollars and cents. We're just talking about a life of gender, my time, my money, my talents, everything that I am. Maybe you haven't seen the mercies and the richness and the glories of, of the gospel yet. So we're still hanging on. This, this, this belongs to me, Lord. You can't have this. And guess what? We all live there at times, don't we? But there's also another gospel issue, is that if you feel guilty about not being generous, you don't understand the gospel either. There should be no guilt and shame here. It's both, right? It's, it's maybe I'm not as generous as, I, as I, I should be because I haven't fully embraced the gospel, but it's also you shouldn't feel guilty at all. Like, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, so you're still not really understanding who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's what's so beautiful about wherever you are this morning is that God goes, I know. I mean... Like I said, I don't like looking at my commerce statement and it reveals my own heart. Math doesn't lie, right? God knows. But he's gracious and he's kind and he forgives. I had a girl years ago, she came up to me and says, Ryan, we're going through a really tough time in our, in our home and, and my husband lost his job and we barely have any money. She felt really bad, they were tithing and then they just, like, I, we can only give like, like 1%. And so I said, that's unacceptable. You will give 10% to this church. I have a helicopter to pay for. 
No, I didn't say that. But what I said was, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that God's condemning you because of that? Like, are you worried that God somehow is going to pounce and, and like you're outside the kingdom now? And so we had this great opportunity to counsel, really encourage each other and say, to say it's, I understand, like we do lose our jobs, right? And that happens. God's not just going like, I don't care. You've got to give the tithe. It doesn't matter, right? That's not law. That's not gospel. That's law. So, so wherever we are, if we just feel like we could be more generous, if we feel guilty over not being generous, I pray the gospel and the Holy Spirit would come and just encourage you and build you up and remind you that God loves you despite you and despite your giving. And, and where we go to do that, where we go to massage God's promises in the gospel deep in our souls is Paul is so brilliant, and we, we've hinted at it already, but in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Notice what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. It's one of my favorite verses when I really think about how do we become generous. It's not, I better change my budget. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to get some Dave Ramsey on, whatever you need to do. I need to see, Lord. I need to see your mercies. That you sent your only son who became poor, who was abused, who was abandoned, who was beaten, who took my place and took my sin, who died a horrendous death on the cross so that I could be rich in him. I was meditating on this verse this week and I just thought, I think the Bible is contradicting itself. Jesus wasn't rich. Yeah, he was actually. He was rich in heaven. He had everything he needed in heaven with the Father and the Spirit. Eternal love, just enjoying that for all of eternity. Yet he was willing to come down so that we could embrace, so that we could live in, so that we could enjoy the same love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have shared for all of eternity. And as that that comes in contact with us, and as we believe that and walk in that, guess what? We become generous people because we see that that God wasn't, he he wouldn't even spare his own son, the, the greatest gift. Right? He, he, the, the thing, I mean, can you imagine? I have sons. I have three sons. I can't even begin to fathom. I did not understand that. I thought I understood it until I started having sons. And I go, God, you would give your only son for me? I barely want my kid to walk outside. I couldn't imagine just laying him on the altar and saying, here he is. But that's exactly what he's done for me. If you have kids, if you know kids, if you're around kids, you, you, you get that. You couldn't imagine what that would be like. And yet God says, I give it freely. Here it is. Here it is. And so if we're struggling with being generous, if we're guilty over generous, is we come back to the generous God who's revealed to us in Christ. And we meditate on what he's done for us every single day. You go, thank you, Lord. Here I am. Here's my wallet. Here's my mind, my heart. Here's my 2003 Tahoe. You got it. Doesn't run that well, but it's yours. Whatever you want to do with it. Because I, I don't want to leave here this morning, everyone feeling guilty and shame. And, I mean, we're going to have two more offerings, but I mean, other than that. is the gospel is what makes us generous people. And can I just say this to you guys? Like, I am blown away by this church, how generous you guys are. 
I really am. Like, like I don't say that just to blow smoke. Like, we don't have any sugar daddies in this church. We, we don't have, you know, we're not we're dependent on like one big guy who's got a big company. Like, we just have a lot of faithful, generous givers. And, and, and I know that's a sign that the gospel of grace is at work in your life. And so I just want to say thank you for that and just keep looking to him because he does want to pour out blessings upon blessing. And I know young people, I know some of you coming out of college, you got all kinds of debt. And I know, I know the game we play. It's I just can't. I got so much debt. I get it. But, 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 but there, it's amazing what God does with even that. I know jobs are changed. Some of us, you know, working two full-time jobs. Some of you are going back to, to stay home with kids. I mean, we know the pinch. <laughs> but just keep coming back to this gospel of grace. And God is good and God is faithful and God provides and every week we have a, a visible, tangible picture of that. Uh, every week we take communion, the Lord's Supper, as a, as a church, and we, we see the bread that represents the broken body of, of Christ, that he was willing to be uh, uh, beaten and, and abandoned and, and bruised f- so that we could be healed, so that we could come into the family of God. We, we have the cup that represents this blood that was poured out so that we could have um, forgiveness of sins, that he would atone for our sins because we're dirty and we're not as generous as we should be. And so every week we get, we get to see with our own eyes and we get to, to, to rip off the bread and we get to taste it and be reminded that God is good. This is a spiritual meal to nourish us to go on another week. Amen? So, so as, you, as you come to the table, I just, I, we've done this the last couple of weeks. I think it's just a good, good habit. Just Maybe just pause for a moment. Just silently pray before God and just say, God, just maybe you need, I need help with being more generous. But at the same time, God, I, I don't need to walk in guilt and shame because you've taken my guilt and shame. Help me believe that too, wherever, wherever you are on, on the spectrum. And if you're not a believer in Christ, we just ask that you would, you would stay seated. We have some prayers uh, in, in the city life that you can think on and, and pray on. And we do want you to know Christ because we believe God is a generous God who's come and given us more than we deserve. Um, and so if you want to talk about that, we'd love to, I'd love to talk with you about that, our elders. Um, we'll form two lines in the front, uh, and there'll be servers. Break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. If you have any allergies of any kind, uh, we have some gluten-free, uh, nut-free bread there in the middle. Please take that. Let us pray. Father, you are generous. When I look at Israel, I just see a microcosm of us. That it would be so easy for us just to hold back and say... Money's just really tight. But you tell us to test you. So God, help us see your generosity in new, fresh, and powerful ways. The generosity of your son that you sent into the world to die for us, who became poor so we could become rich in him. That's where all generosity begins. So God, do that miraculous work I can't do. All my yelling and shouting isn't going to do it, but God, your spirit can do it. And your word can do it. So show us again fresh and new ways. Your mercies, your grace revealed in through your son, powered by your spirit. Help us now. Help us be a generous people in all of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.